Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today's guest is Eric Tonesmeyer. He is the author of Trees with Edible Leaves. Yay! Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. I am always wonderful to you, Kenny. Thank you. You're wonderful to me, too. And you know who else is wonderful? Mr. Bill Grace is in the studio. Yes. He's working the boards for us, and answering your calls is Irene. And both we're going to keep wonderful, wonderful. both of them very busy today. I hope so, because this is a good show to call in on. Yeah, so stay tuned as we promote a balance of people, profit, and planet. And before we begin with our main guest, we have a couple of events that are happening in Central Florida that we want to promote. And on the line, we have Michaela, and Michaela's going to be talking about a first and hopefully annual plant festival. Oh, this is their very first one. Yes, it is. Hi, Michaela. Hi, Michaela. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, Yes, perfectly. Thank you. Can you tell us about your event? Hi, I am Michaela. I am the sustainability coordinator out at Rosebud Continuum Ecoscience Education Center in Lando Lake, Florida. Um, we are having our first plant sale this Saturday, April 1st, from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, we have about 13 vendors coming out. Um, we have Critter Companions, that's Kenny Coogan. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming out. <laughs> We have Baby Greens. Um, he is actually a sixth grader. He's our youngest um, vendor at the property selling microgreens. Um, we have Amelia's Garden, Grace's Hydro, Lady Bee's Butterfly Habitat Restoration, Moss Me. Um, we have Captain Dale, who is our local, uh, fresh local honey maker. Um, on the day of, we are having two trees for uh, free grassing demonstrations. Oh. Um, one at 10 a.m. and one at 1 p.m. Um, and we are uh, selling um, or we are raffling off those uh, two trees that are going to be a part of the demo. So if anyone is interested in learning about that, um, basically, all I can say is all of our vendors are extremely, extremely knowledgeable um, with everything that they are bringing out. And whether you're just getting into plants or you have been um planting for quite some time. I think our plant sale is just a great place to come out to buy, learn, and kind of basically develop connections with other community members. Sounds exciting. Um, I wanted to ask you, what's, what is the, uh, what is your organization? She said Rosebud Continuum. I know, but what is it? So we're an eco-science education center. We are basically out there for community members. We do a lot of outreach with elementary students, middle school students, and high school students, um, and teaching them about sustainability and sustainable methods. Very as good. As well as kind of in connection with the Patel College of Global Sustainability. Excellent. At Excellent. Um, we have a lot of master students who do their research out there. Fantastic. Now, um, where is that located, uh, the, show, the sale, and uh, what time of the day, and is it one day only? Yeah, so it's one day only, only April 1st on Saturday, this Saturday. Um, we are located at 2 2 843 Hale Road, Land O'Lake, Florida. And what time? 
and it'll be from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Fantastic. I hope you have a very successful day and thanks for calling in. No, thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a, uh, have a great day too. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. And on the line, we also have Jessica. And hello, Jessica. Hey, Jessica. And she's from Three Daughters Brewing. And can you talk to us about your event this weekend? Yeah, so uh, Three Daughters Brewing in St. Pete is going to be hosting our annual Paints, Pints, and Plants event on Sunday, this Sunday, April 2nd, from um, 12 to 5. The market essentially features over 40 vendors, uh, local artists, plant enthusiasts, nurseries showcasing all the beautiful creations they have to offer. Um, We'll have food trucks on site to provide a variety of food, um, different plant vendors, artists all throughout our local community. Um, We'll also, of course, have our delicious beers and ciders and vodka-based drinks available as well for everybody. So that's kind of why we do the three-in-one plant event. Um, 40 vendors, that's a lot. Yeah, we, you know, hopefully with this, maybe we'll get some more. We're, we we love to have upwards of 60 vendors. Um, so wow. people are accepting them. We go into our parking lot, and uh, they all have either 10 by 10, 10 by 20 spaces, and they get to show off all their awesome creations. That's fantastic. Uh, and where is that located, and what time and the date yeah. again, please? Yeah, so it's at Three Daughters Brewing, our St. Pete location, which is 222 22nd Street South in St. Pete again, and um, it's going to be this Sunday, April 2nd, from 12 to 5, um, and yeah, we have plenty of parking, and it's a family-friendly event, and if you guys are interested, you can just reach out to Three Dollars Brewing to be a vendor. So that's what I was going to ask you. Is there a phone number for people to reach out, or do they, they do that online? Um, they can email me. Uh, it'll be jessica at the number three, letter D, brewing.com. And uh, we will get them set up as a vendor. Fantastic. It sounds exciting. I hope it's very successful for you guys thank and every you. all the vendors. Having us on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great. Thank I think Kenny you, will be there too. Kenny's yeah, busy. Kenny will this, be there. He's going to be busy this weekend, isn't it? <laughs> I was say, he's usually the star of the show. I love that. <laughs> he is <so>. a star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a supernova. Thank you, yeah. Jessica. Bye bye, Jessica. Have Thanks for one. calling. And Annie Ellis, do you have an event? I surely do. I'm in the lineup here. Uh, so I wanted to say, first off, I went to a lovely uh, garden. It's a, it's a um, Seminole Heights community garden uh, this Saturday. And it is a fantastic place. And I went over there because I was donating pots. I had gotten, I, I always save any pots that I get and give them to somebody else because, you know, I don't throw anything away like plastic at all. And so so it's being reused. Uh, so they needed these pl- these pots. And I also brought them a cutting of a uh, giant milkweed. And I did, and, and there was, a, and I was going to cut off the rust uh, leaves, the ones that I rust on. But then I looked really closely and it was covered with monarch eggs. So then I brought it there and then we looked up and there was a giant monarch eating, a, a monarch caterpillar eating on the top. So they had all the different ones and they cut them up and put them in pots while I was there. I mean, these guys are efficient and they have the most beautiful area with lots of oak trees. So it's nice and cool in the areas that you can be standing in or working in and so on. And the gorgeous 
mulching area. They have this thing's been going on forever. This is their third place that they've been in, and they move the dirt from those places one bucket at a time. They said anyway. This uh, this Saturday they're going to have the Seminole Heights Garden Seed uh, and Plant Swap and Giveaway, and that's April first, April Fool's Day. I'm not not fooling. And it's at 6114 River Terrace in Tampa, Florida, 33604. And if you didn't get that, you can always look up Seminole Heights uh, Community Garden. And it's a real community garden. You don't, um, it's not a single plot. Everybody cares for the whole garden all the time. And they gave me a big old bag of tomatoes and were trying to give me everything while I was there. They're just lovely, lovely people. So y'all should come. If you don't go, you're going to wish you had. All right. Very good. And now for the main event. The main. We have Eric Tonsmeyer. He is the author of Trees with Edible Leaves and a number of other publications, including Paradise Lot and The Carbon Farming Solution. The common theme of these is how they center around perennial plants as the solution for society so we can harness a more sustainable future. He also served as an appointed lecturer at Yale University, a senior researcher with Project Drawn Down, and an international trainer. Welcome to the show, Eric. We're so glad you're here, Eric. Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. I told you he had the most gorgeous radio voice, right? (laughs) (laughs) Nice to be back in Tampa. (laughs) Did you used to live here, Eric? I just visited Visited okay. passing through and stuff. Yeah, okay. I love West Florida. Yeah. Now, last year, or last week, rather, when we ended the show, we were trying to figure out, are you uh, living in Florida right now? Sadly, no. I live in Massachusetts, so very much, very much the opposite. Yeah, that's, uh, and it's interesting because you are able to try out the cold weather uh, plants that you're, that you're working on, right? And is that happening for you up there? Oh yeah, we there. There are lots of great things that'll grow up here too. And then I have greenhouses, so oh, I can okay. grow grow proper things. Yeah, from, I was thinking about doing so a hoop on. house up in Virginia uh, if mm-hmm. I if I land there. So I wanted to ask you some questions. We have so much to cover, and I have a lot of people sure. that have said they're really excited about this show. And the reason why I just want to let you everybody know, Eric is on here because the trees with edible leaves is a wonderful uh, book. It's downloadable and it is at no cost to uh, download it. Uh, And it is uh, so great because the people that funded that uh, was uh, the, what was the, the name of that wonderful group? It's uh, Trees for Climate Health. Yes. By uh, they, uh, what is that group that that sponsors that? Sure, they're part of uh, Jonas Philanthropies. I'm so happy about them. I went, I looked them up uh, to just research you and more about it. And they do a lot, everything that's related to uh, public health and health of people. Mm. And so, mm. it, in turn, they looked at you at, at you know that you could do something to increase the health in others by the biodiversity of growing trees and eating the leaves, which I just love that that was such a perfect circle. So, so great. 
Great to I'm have. really pleased, and it's my favorite thing to be to be paid to write, and then to be able to put the writing up for free. Yeah, well, so we can't say can, free. We'll just say at no cost. At no cost. <laughs> Um, and um, and it's already uh, we're almost done the Spanish translation, really? and we're working on a couple of other languages. So oh. it's um, 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 having a really uh, we've had almost thirty thousand downloads already. It's only been out for about two months. So that is amazing. We're doing I, great. I put we're it out great. on my site a ton. So I just and I keep doing it because I think it's something that people don't need to miss. And so, Eric, the subtitle of your book is a global manual. Is that correct? Yeah, I really, uh, the idea, idea was to, to write something for the whole world. And, and the reason I think you could do that with this particular set of plants in a way that would be a lot harder to do with fruits or nuts or something is that even though they're different species, they're grown in basically the same way everywhere. So with the same basic kind of techniques, you can grow them whether you're in you know, Canada or Belize. So it makes it possible to write something uh, like this that, that that might not have been possible for another group of plants. So, uh, And I wanted to also show how many amazing species there are around the world. And I was just going to ask you that. How many trees have edible leaves? Because I'm going out in my yard and I see an oak tree and well, or a pine tree. You're not eating that. Yeah. Although the pine is good. You can make tea. Yeah, yes. tea. So Eric, how, do you know how many, or how many species sure. you mentioned, at least in the book? Sure. Well, no one knows how many trees with edible leaves there are globally. We were able to find for this book just over 100 that are grown for those edible leaves. Just specifically for that. that. We know people are planting just for that. And I know there are at least several hundred others. Um, so I suspect there must be a thousand or more if I wow. if I had to guess. There must be a great many of them. And I'm sure we missed a number that are grown um and we just didn't find a reference. Plus all the things that were, that are grown for their fruit, but you can eat their leaves, let's say, like jackfruit, for example, and on and on. So you can get, or things that are grown mostly as ornamentals, but people will also eat their leaves sometimes. So we drew the line here of things people are planting, trees people are planting for their edible leaves, just to sort of um, give a real clear slice of what's out there. But 100 species is a lot. That's yeah, a lot to work is. with. You know, there was something that I, since we're talking about uh, edible leaves and fruit, uh, I was, uh, I saw that you had mulberry leaves on there. And I know I use them for tea, for heart health, blood sugar, and uh, controlling my, reducing my inflammation. But are the leaves edible too? I didn't know that. They are. In fact, uh, in many parts of the world, they're an important vegetable. And um, go ahead. I, I was really surprised to learn this. Um, maybe a decade and a half ago or something. It came as a, so I'd been growing them for their fruit for many years and I was in Mexico and I saw people were eating them there. And I learned that in, uh, in Central America, people, um, they're especially fed to women who are pregnant. And now that I understand how nutritious they are, they're really at that Moringa level of nutrition. Um, it just makes good sense. So people are growing them and eating them in a minor way around the world, I would say less than for the fruit, but um, uh, actually there's an, a new variety that's been selected in Florida called 
edible leaf mulberry. Oh, oh, you can't um, miss that one then, can you? <laughs> I think it's uh, available at Just Fruits and Exotics down there. It was selected by a guy named Josh Jameson who oh, runs my, Co- Josh Cody Co. Jameson Farm and Nursery. Yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Does, oh, yeah. He, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been on the show, and I've been to his place. He's wonderful. Did, That's so, one of his. That's a Josh Jameson okay. original right there. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah. just have to contact him. That's fantastic. Uh, so I wanted to see then how did you come to the idea of the publication about these, this uh, thing that you oh, wrote, sure. this publication? Well, I had written, a, uh, a published an article a couple of years ago, like a peer-reviewed science article, uh, looking at the world's perennial vegetables. Uh, we identified about 600 species that are grown as, as vegetables that are, whether they're trees or shrubs or palms or herbaceous perennials that come back year after year. And we analyzed their nutrition, specifically looking at the at the deficiencies that affect people around the world. So in different parts of the world, those are different yeah. deficiencies. It might be iron or calcium or vitamin A or folate, depending on where you live. And we found that the group of plants of all the world's vegetables, and we had data on about 300 species of vegetables, everything from tomatoes and cucumbers on to, you know, these these more obscure crops. Trees with edible leaves were the uh, the best, <laughs> had the highest content, as a class, had the highest content of these nutrients that humanity is in great need of. I am shocked. Um, so I thought, well, here's a group that most people have never even heard of, and they have this incredible potential to mitigate climate change, to do all the other wonderful things trees do, and to address these nutritional um, um, uh, challenges faced by humanity. So uh, they need they, we need to write something about them. <laughs> That's sort of where it where it came mm-hmm. from. And also, I think they capture the imagination. It's like something from Dr. Seuss, right? I think to most folks who live in the United States, it's a really strange idea. In other parts of the world, it's a very common phenomenon. But for us, it's a really new idea. So I like, I like um, uh, having my own mind open to new kinds of useful plants. And I mm-hmm. thought other people might like that too. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. I mean, I know that I knew about Chaya and, you know, a few other odds and ends like that, but I certainly had no idea. So this is wonderful. So in a minute, Eric, can we uh, talk about some species of trees or types of trees that would do really well in central Florida. But first, I want to remind listeners that this is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. And today we're interviewing Eric Tonsmeyer. He's the author of Trees with Edible Leaves. And to be part of the conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. Or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. So, Eric, can you give us kind of a handful of trees that we should be uh, growing or or that we can grow? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, thanks to the great work uh, of Echo and Fort Myers and a number of other plant folks around Florida, some of these are are well known. I would say people are already growing Moringa and Chaya and Mm -hmm. Nopali cactus, maybe K-Tuck as well, all of which are totally fantastic highly recommended, but I thought I would bring a few others along that might be um, uh, very much also worth growing, but not so much in people's um, um, uh, 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 consciousness yet. Yes. Yeah, the first of which would be the edible leaf mulberry, which is one of the world's most nutritious vegetables. Um, 
and that edible leaf clone that um, that Josh selected is probably the one to the one to start with. Um, and mulberries are great because they're really easy to grow. Yeah, they are. Uh, although there are some uh, varieties in Florida that are very vulnerable to nematodes. Hmm. Um, and there's a guy. Uh, um, Craig Hepworth, who's uh, in Citra, who is working with some nematode-resistant rootstocks for some of the fruiting varieties of mulberries. Oh. Um, uh, he's, I think, Florida Fruit Geek online and um, uh, might be worth taking a look at that. But I, I do understand that this edible leaf variety that Josh has selected does pretty well with nematodes. Okay, so he's not having to graft that on to a different rootstock. I, I think they're just using cuttings, yeah. Very good. Um now, uh, when so, we say uh, edible leaves, are we saying that I can just take it off the tree and eat it, or no, like for the for the mulberry, do we have to cook it? Are we making a salad great. out of it? Sure, great question. Okay, um, generally for these, I like to assume that you should cook them unless I hear otherwise. Um, with the mulberry, you can eat it raw. I find its texture is much improved by cooking. Yeah, I would um, think so. So, um, so it's like a uh, steamed spinach. Yeah, it would be. Type. It's a little yeah. tougher, I think. Although I've never see, I've never cooked it. So I, uh, it's probably the the tiny leaves on the top, right? So, isn't that the whole thing about this? Is that you're pollarding right. them? Yeah, yeah, you want to be pruning them hard enough, whether that's all the way down to the ground or, you know, f oh. four, five, six feet high every year or so. And that new growth that comes out after that is very tender and stays tender for a really long time. Like here in Massachusetts, that'll be four months or more of, of tender growth. And I imagine in Florida, that could be quite a bit longer. Um, uh, because it keeps it in a juvenile state, so it just stays making those tender leaves. Otherwise, you're only wanting to pick the tender leaves. If it's just a regular old tree, you just yeah. want to pick those younger leaves because the old ones tend to be tough. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I know that there's a thing about doing that. Like if you over uh, prune, you're going to be taking away the nutrients to the tree, which will make it unhealthy. Is there a certain uh, amount that you should be able to take or not? Sure. Actually, the people who do these um, uh, uh, in, at a commercial scale will often um, have to fertilize every year with composted manure in order to keep high yields going. Okay, so they supplement when, it just to be able to, to harvest that much then? Yeah. Okay. But around the subtropics, when people are just growing them mixed around in their garden, people seem to report very high yields without doing any kind of fertilizing at all. Or you might plant like a, that uh, perennial peanut or something under there to provide some nitrogen fixation. Right. But mostly people in Florida tell me they they don't need to do much for fertilizing. <laughs> they just seem to grow That's very well. Um, and maybe uh, you might get, you know, a 20-year lifespan out of it if you're pruning it that hard. So it may not live as long, but 20 years is a lot longer than spinach or something, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You want to hear some other Florida Totally. Species, That's then? what we were just okay. going to... But, but first, Eric, we have a oh, text yeah. message oh, from okay. Mike, oh, in, Mike in St. Pete, and he wants to know, is the large black mulberry tree leaf edible? So, Eric, can you talk about our all mulberry trees? But now when we say edible, do we mean... Palatable? Well, the, Do we mean non-toxic? The baby leaves, probably, right? 
that's the distinction is really in this case between <laughs> edible and palatable. Right. Do I want to? To my eat understanding, it? <laughs> any of the true mulberries in the genus Morris, you can eat the leaves, but some of them taste bad. Some of them have a texture like blue jeans, and right. some of them are both. So you want to find the right ones that, that taste good. There was a little bit of a controversy uh, in the last year. Some. Um, I think it was a congressman's wife died and they thought it was due to mulberry oh, leaf consumption. Yeah. Turned out it was not because of that. Um, but um, uh, Undoing I that would, is a hard thing. Though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a challenge. So what I would say is that certainly, you know, perhaps millions of people have been eating it for, for several thousands yeah. of years. I think it's pretty well well proven in that regard but right. any individual trying a new thing you don't maybe want to start eating 10 pounds of it on day one either right you can try your way in yeah but i think you're safe with any of these mulberries uh, at least to sample the young leaves and see if they're see if they're good so thank you mike for sending your text message mm. yeah all right, so Eric, what are some other species? That For we could sure. Okay, yeah. so some of the other ones, one of the ones I really love, I believe in Florida, y'all call the orchid tree or the Hong Kong orchid tree. Oh, yeah. There's an invasive species. It's that. There's another one that's not. You'll see it in uh, parking lots and stuff quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful pink flowers. And uh, you, that's Bauhinia purpurea. You can eat the, uh, the leaves, and it is grown for the leaves in some places. Uh, also, the flowers. It's actually a big vegetable in India for the flower buds. Get out. Very okay. popular. And you can also eat the young pods and the young seeds. So it's quite a versatile wow. vegetable. It acts like um, a legume, then, if you're doing the seeds that way. Is it in the legume family? Yeah, you, it is in the legume family. It is. It doesn't fix nitrogen, but it's in that family. And you can kind of cook it like a shell bean, those young yeah. beans in there. So I wow. feel like that's quite a... And it, and it is, is available pretty. in the nursery trade there, and it's a beautiful plant. So yeah. I feel like that would be one that I would encourage people to grow in Florida. I believe that the... The variety Hong Kong orchid tree is sterile and doesn't yes. set seeds, so yes. that could never be invasive because it literally can't make seeds. Right. So that might be, although you wouldn't get the seeds to eat, but you can eat the leaves and flowers on that right. one. So that would be high on my on my personal list. We yeah. talked about moringa and chaya, which we can't say enough are so so good for you. Mm -hmm. Chaya, of course, you want to really cook. Uh, for I, I say about fifteen minutes to get all the um, cyanide out of and there. And you have to pour the water out and boil it again. And I, I, my understanding is fifteen minutes is enough. Okay. Um, and then just don't ingest the juice. I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I boil it for ten minutes, drain it once, eat it, and I'm still here. <laughs> Still here. And he's sharp as a tag. But, but these, sta these statements are not endorsed by WNF. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it is, but it I am is still really. Alive. <laughs> I find it tastes a lot better than Moringa. I think the flavor is, think is so really too. very nice. The yes. texture is wonderful. And it's it's pretty hard to kill. And I respect that in, um, <laughs> in a plant. Plan. Another one that that would be interesting to try is the noni, which um, may be growing a little farther south than you for the fruit. It has sort of a really hideous fruit that looks mm -hmm. like a, a diseased mulberry or something. Oh, People wow. grow it mostly it for up. the That's medicinal effects, but the leaves are, are quite good. Oh. Um, and um, to, as far as I know, they should be cooked and um, they have a very agreeable flavor and texture. And I'm, I'm told actually by Josh that that one will 
um, be killed back by frost and re-sprout very happily. Okay. So it seems like a good choice for the subtropics, and it is around in the Florida nursery trade, um, so that's something people could get their hands on. I, I find the fruit is almost inedibly bad, but I am excited yeah. to go for the please now. Erica Klopf, who was my um who 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 was my contributing author for this, she traveled, she works at um uh um oh I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name, one of the nurseries on Pine Island, a little farther south from you folks. Mm -hmm. And she traveled to botanic gardens all over Florida and tested and collected about 40 or 50 species of trees with edible leaves that are around in Florida. Oh, so she went but, to those places then. But little known as vegetables. So one of them is um, Pseudoranthemum carothersi, which is a terrible name. But it's a beautiful, uh, low-growing shrub hedge with yellow leaves. That is a great vegetable. It's grown as a vegetable in its homeland. Um, she uh, also enjoyed Saba leaves. I'm not sure what the trade name is there. Kapok is what we often call it in English. I've seen them around in Central Florida as a big trunk with big spines oh, on it. Yeah. How could you eat the leaves on that? Well, just watch out for the spines when you harvest it, I oh, suppose. Oh, I guess it's the new one because they do flush out in the spring in the center. You would want to be... Um, you know, careful, careful with the spines okay. for sure. But those sabas are again one of the world's most nutritious vegetables, and um, being grown as a vegetable in Brazil, um, uh, uh, common in the nursery trade, and yet uh, we don't really know that we can eat it here. So we're sort of often. What I like is the plants that are already in our midst that we can eat. It's fun to go track things down from other places, but what's already around us is a great place to start. Um, I, um, I know that people a little south of Tampa are growing noni for the fruit, and I saw a YouTube uh -huh. video many, many years ago of uh -huh. this woman. She looked about 40 years old, and she said, I'm 85 years old, or wow. I'm 90 years old, but she eats like noni every day. But like mm -hmm. Eric was saying, it's not palatable. Well, it might be an acquired taste, too. You know what I mean? Like, I eat things that people go, this is horrible. Yeah. You know? It was kind of like thinking, like... The if, stinky if, fruit? If, if that's healthy, I don't know if I want to be healthy. You don't want if you live 90 years old. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like, I just you'll just count every... You'll count every day, yet. I think, is when, it's, when you have to eat something like that. You'll count every single day. So, Eric, let's talk about... We're talking about all these wonderful trees with edible leaves, but can you talk about kind of in a sustainability lens, how good are they for the environment? Do they yes. remove yeah. and store excess carbon from the atmosphere? Mm. Are they better than a normal tree? <laughs> well, it's going to give you dual Yeah, they got multiple things, purposes. Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, well, the first thing in terms of, in terms of, Carbon sequestration, they, they all, all trees, all plants photosynthesize, or except a couple parasitic ones, they photosynthesize, they, they, they take extra carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, which we have too much of right now, that's the problem. They, they break the carbon off from the oxygen, and they make it into cool stuff, they make it into the plant tissues, and a lot of it becomes soil organic matter over time, so... Um, all the trees we have are, are good for that. These because these tend to be pruned as a hedge or or cut back very aggressively, there's less trunk and less branches than some trees. So compared to let's say um, an avocado or a loquat, there's less carbon above ground because there's less wood above ground. But in the soil they're still doing a great job. Yeah. Their roots count and the soil organic matter will be improved. Um, but they are not, you know, it 
in terms of pure carbon, an oak or a pine or an avocado is going to do better. But what really what we should be comparing them to is spinach and, and cabbage, which they do a very much better job than mm-hmm. those than annual. They do a better job than lettuce. They do a better job than um, even like Malabar spinach or some of those other tropical um, vegetables. So they um, they represent an improvement in vegetable production, mm-hmm. although a really long like a a, a, a Pond cypress would be a better bet if pure carbon is your only goal, but those aren't real good to eat. <laughs> as far as I know, you I have probably actually, drink the tea. <laughs> yeah, drink the tea. That's right. And maybe nibble the little twig tips or the something tips, when they right. come out, but not a, you wouldn't want to eat a whole bowl of you it every day. Steam it. <laughs> and can these trees make farms or gardens more resilient in the face of climate change? Yeah, I, I really think they can. Um, uh, in in a couple of ways. First of all, the as a the the trees themselves are um, are resilient in a couple of ways. One of which is um, they uh, they will often continue to produce uh, very far into um, droughts. Uh, like in places with a long dry season, they may be going for, you know, months into that dry season continuing to provide. So they're resilient in terms of drought. They, they will sail right through because they're trees with deeper roots that can access water better. That's one. They also respond uh, very quickly after hurricanes because they um, uh, the, the leaves are knocked off or even some of the branches are broken and then they re-sprout and that's the part you eat anyway. So it's almost just a kind of pruning. And in fact, I got to hear from Erica, uh, unfortunately, who was really right in the right in the heart and, and echo mm-hmm. or right in the heart of that um, uh, hurricane this last year yeah, that these trees there. were re-sprouting very, very well. The great majority of these like Noni and Moringa and Chaya and so on were coming back real well. So in terms of extreme weather events, they're pretty uh, resilient. But also trees in the garden... Um, and in the landscape, help with resilience in a bunch of ways. They a hedgerow of them might serve as a as a windbreak. Um, they're improving the organic matter in the soil, which makes um, uh, increases drought resilience and also uh, helps to slow flooding by catching and storing water and letting it flow away slowly. I know you all don't have much by way of slopes in Florida, but there are in some <laughs> places little bits of slopes and a planting of these kinds of like a hedgerow, let's say, of these trees planted along the contour of a slope uh, can really help to uh, reduce erosion. Yeah. And what we're seeing with climate change in most of the country is 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 the rainfall may be farther apart. They may be longer periods between rain, but when it comes, it's more intense. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be able to catch and store that water, which trees can help with. And we also need to step up our efforts to control erosion because rainfall and wind are stronger than they were. So we need stronger approaches to erosion control. That's really an interesting point that you just made. Made me think about having, um, uh, putting them, getting the ones that like a lot of water. And those are the ones that you would be by your water's edge. So then that would be a twofold thing. It would be uh, stopping the erosion. Uh, It would also be, you know, providing your food. So if you designed your garden properly, then you could have those along that line. And another thing when you were mentioning, uh, when you we're talking about, you know, they're all being cut low, so they're probably not going to get knocked around so much like bigger trees would be in the hurricane situations. So they may get 
pushed around a little, but not like the big trees. So you're going to be able to maintain that. And then the other thing that you said that made me think was we're not pulling these things out by the roots. So the carbon's staying in the ground. So anything that you that you grow that you're going to be pulling out by the roots, you're pulling that carbon back out. So I just... This is amazing. I, I need to let everybody know who we are and what we are doing. And I'm Annie Ellis, and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Uh, today we're interviewing the uh, Eric Tonsmeyer, and he's the author of Trees and Edible Leaves. If you want to be a part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-433-0885 and text us uh, at 813-433-0885. Oh, no, that's wrong. Or send Send us an email at dj at wnf.org, and we will read it on the air. Oh, and the number you call in is 813-239-9663. The, the listeners know the number. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't, obviously. <laughs> so, Annie, I forgot to mention that this past weekend I was at the Florida Native uh, Symposium. Yeah, that's fantastic, Kenny. And when I was there, I saw somebody, and guess who it was? Who? Brian Beckman from the Sierra Club. Oh, I walked up to him. Good. I said, you is, I said, him? is your name Brian? Oh, that's and I so go, great. oh, you were on our radio show. And uh, this relates to you, Eric, because I'm writing a TED Ed talk about the Everglades and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas oh, and lovely. alligators. <laughs> and um, the TED Ed people wanted me to find out. And I asked Brian because he's with the Sierra Club and he didn't know. But in the er- Mid-1700s, early 1800s, they were planting the invasive Melaleuca tree. Right. And the Ted Ed people thought they were planting it so they would soak up all the water. But I just can't imagine, even if you plant like a million trees, I don't know how much water you would be able to soak up. I think it was mostly the uh, Army Corps of Engineers who created all these Drainage and canals, that's what led to the the draining. The other was for promotion for selling land, wasn't it, to get the trees there? Yeah, but the question is how... Where did all the, how did they get rid of all the water? And I don't think it was from the Melaleuca trees. So did the Melaleuca have an, uh, a point in doing that is yeah. the question, I guess. And Brian did not know the answer. Do you know the answer so, to that? So, some <laughs> trees can do some. So like willow trees are used for yes. that sometimes. But it's not enough Cypress. to do... The kind of um, getting rid of. I think the scale of change of we've seen in Florida <laughs> has more to do with the with the canals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my my understanding. It, diverting it. Yeah. Yep. So speaking of climate change and sustainability, um, when people are growing trees with edible leaves around the world, are people feeding it to livestock as fodder or? Or is it serving to feed wildlife, or are we mostly aiming it for human consumption? Yeah. Mm. That's a great question. Well, this book is about trees for human consumption. I'm also actually right now writing a book on trees for livestock. And that's very much a practice that, that is done around the world and has been for thousands of years. And a lot of the same species are used for both. The trick is that a few of these... Uh, have the cyanide in them and you have to cook them first. Like, I wouldn't feed chia leaves to a cow because that could potentially be bad. Although, in fact, some cows do eat some chia, but I would personally stay away from anything with cyanide in it. Um, So, yes. And, in fact, the way you grow the trees is exactly the same either way. So you could use the same one. for Like, I have um, uh, mulberry trees that I will uh, cut and 
eat myself, but also feed to my silkworms and feed to my chickens and then feed the silkworms to the chickens too. So they, they really are multi-purpose trees. Um, and I think trying to get only one thing out of them isn't always getting the most we could out of them if we sort of really think about their full um, uh, 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 set of, of offerings that they provide. We may need to manage them to, for the thing we want most, but often we can have multiple benefits. And, and in this case, feeding to a cow or feeding to a person is pretty much the same, the very, very same thing for most of these. So I have to ask you, are you growing silkworms for the silk, the cocoons, <laughs> making a kimono there? Or Eric, edi- edible or you, insects? Are you eating the edible insects or are you giving them just strictly for your chickens? I, I, I will say that while um, people do eat them, I am um, too yeah, cowardly and not hungry yet. yet to do that. <laughs> so, uh, but my chickens absolutely love them. Just it makes them so. Nothing makes them happier than a bunch of squirming silkworms getting thrown in there with them. They really love them. And you're so, and um, you're breeding them, yes. or you just have like a handful every once in a while. Well, we we raise them. Um, once you get your first round of eggs, you hatch them out and you basically put them in a cardboard box with mulberry leaves. And they so just it's not it. too hard to do and they'll they'll eat a bunch of leaves and you have to save some of them to um they'll make cocoons. They get pretty big, they make a cocoon. And then in about two weeks the cocoons hatch out. The adults um will mate and lay eggs and that's it. They don't even they can't even eat anything. So and they're flightless. Um, so they're oh. not an invasive species risk because they can't fly. <laughs> um, oh. uh, and they, they lay eggs and then you can hatch out the next round. So if you really get rolling on it, you can do, you know, really I've mostly playing around with it because it's fun and I like feeding them to my chickens. But certainly in, in many places, of course, there, there are about uh, two and a half million acres in the world in mulberries for silkworm production. Sure, so I love silk. Pretty, pretty serious. <laughs> um, Quite a bit if you want to make the silk, you boil the cocoons while the larvae yep. is still inside, huh. and you have to draw off the silk. It's it's a little over my pay grade in <laughs> yeah. terms of the level of of art that's required. But people yeah. do a lot with the cocoons after the. After I was going to say that would be very out. artistic to do something. Yeah, I, I have a friend who makes beautiful little silk flowers out of oh, the cocoons. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so you could do all kinds of little, little tiny cute puppets I've seen. <laughs> there, are, there are uses for the um, for that as well. That's so, cool. I just had to ask because you brought it up and I was like, somebody's sure. going to know because I sure. want to know. And we have a caller here. Yes, we so. do. But first we have a special message from Mr. Bill Grace. Okay. Well, there you are just sitting out there in Radio Land enjoying the Sustainable Living Show and wondering how can you show your support. Just go to our website, WMNF.org, and click on the tip jar at the top of the screen. Be sure to direct your donation to SUL for Sustainable Living. And just let me say, supporting Sustainable Living in WMNF Tampa will be the most rewarding thing that you can do with your clothes on. <laughs> and a few weeks ago, the station had a little fun drive. Yes. And we successfully we, made our goal. We went beyond our goal, Kenny. I think we were 300 above, so it's pretty exciting. But, we never made it before. But I asked Bill to uh, do that little promo because... We want to stay on the hair. Right. And, and we want to be ahead of the next one. The curve. And also, a lot of people didn't make their uh, their goal. So it's good for us. They help us when we don't, and we need to help them when they don't. So that's good. So did you want to catch that caller? Yes, we do. So we have Tom in St. Pete, 
And I believe Tom wants to talk about Moringa. Hi, Tom. Yeah. Yes, because this is a world-class show. Beautiful chemistry, y'all. Hey, say, uh, I've been putting uh, Moringa powder in my uh, uh, oak brand for the past couple of years, and I've got my first uh, 20 Moringa tree teas germinating right now. Good for you. And, and, uh, and I'm looking uh, forward to, uh, first of all, I heard that uh, it uh, grows like a weed, and it's pretty, you know, easy to grow in Florida. It uh, sounds like it's uh, pretty perfect. Uh, I love the idea about pruning it to four feet. That just works out great for my landscaping. Um, but uh, um, I'm wondering uh, two questions. One, are there any precautions in growing uh, moringa trees? And um, uh, is there uh, uh, any kind of recipes, or do you have to cook it? Is that a raw one? Um, uh, you know, what's the best way uh, that you found to, to, to consume it? All right. Thank you, Tom. So, Eric, That's great. can you answer some of those I'm afraid I can't hear the caller. Oh, okay. So he's growing moringa. He's, he's his first time to grow the seeds. He has a whole bunch of them started up, and he wants to know: Does he can he eat it raw? Can he? Uh, does he have to cook it? And also, is there any dangers associated with that? And what was the other one, Kenny? Is there any? Should it be. So in South Florida, they're saying that moringa can be invasive. So I oh, think okay, maybe, precautions. Yeah, so Tom was wondering if there's any precautions to take when growing it. Sure, okay, so um, to try and answer those. recipes, too, recipes, that's right. Okay, let's see. Okay, uh, well, <laughs> first, you can eat it raw, but I find the flavor is so strong that I can't get very much of it down. It's mm. like black pepper, kind of spicy. Too hot. Pretty, pretty spicy, but if you dry it... Um, uh, then that then that is a good way to to increase your consumption of the of the um, raw product. Um, let's see. Um, Do you cook it? Raw? I like it. I prefer it cooked over raw myself. Okay. Um, uh, very much, and and not only the leaves, but also the um, the flowers are edible and quite good. The young pods, when they're about as thick as a pencil, are fantastic. That's what it's mostly grown for oh. um, in India, where it's from, is is as a a pod vegetable rather than as a leaf crop. So you eat the actual pod with the seed in it, not you don't uh, take the seed out and eat it like a pea. Right. Okay. When it's when it's thin like, like a, a green pea bean. Pod. Yeah. Yep. Yep, and they're quite they're quite delicious. Oh. Um, and in terms of uh, of invasiveness, um, the the question in North Florida would be: Does it even have enough of a long season to actually <laughs> right. ripen the pods? Um, which I've heard people complaining about not being able to get seed. That the one advantage of the annual pruning um, for these trees is mostly they will not produce uh, uh, seed. Um, because when you cut it down all the way down to you right. know a couple of feet high every year, it probably won't have time. So, I, I do think that's a that's a, a distinct advantage um, uh, in terms of the of, of limiting you, any potential invasiveness. Do you have of a favorite species. way of eating it, like a recipe for this man? Oh, for moringa. Um, I like it in coconut curry a lot. Oh, okay. The mm -hmm. green in the coconut curry. Yeah. That sounds delicious. Makes my mouth yeah. water. <laughs> Thank you for calling in, Tom. Oh, sure. You should bring yeah. some of those sprouts to the Seminole Heights plant <laughs> swap and then get some other stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my loquats. I got too many loquats. I'll see you. Bring them. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tom. I would add you, you do have two native uh, trees in Florida with pretty good edible leaves. That would be worth mentioning. Um, 
One is uh, the native red mulberry, which is a little sandpapery in some varieties. You'd have to find the right one. Um, but it's used just like the other uh, mulberries. And the other is... Um, is uh is is usually considered native to Florida, but only in the very south. It's the Haitian basket vine, uh, oh. Trichostigma octandrum, which is native um, from South Florida. Again, most people consider it native there, but not always. Um, but very rare in Florida, all the way down to South America, um, and it's it's quite delicious. Uh, it has a good texture. It's easily grown. It likes some shade. Um, so I feel like it's always great to start with the native stuff and then move out mm -hmm. from there. Um, and uh, that happens to be a really great vegetable <laughs> as well. Uh, uh, I, I certainly grow some things here that I might not grow if they weren't native, just trying to really get to know what's around me and what, what lives here. Um, uh, so that would be a, a, um one of the ones to think about. And not for, to uh, keep the pitching uh, Josh Jameson, but he has that growing at Cody mm -hmm. Cove. So yeah. that means it grows here. So great. Um, yeah. So we have a couple of emails about Moringa. I want to ask you real quick, though, about that chicken uh, leaf, the leaf but that let, tastes like chicken. Let's finish up the Moringa. Okay. So, okay. But, because we got emails. So right we have one email that's saying... Uh, Moringa is known as the Indian abortion pill. And oh. then we have Mike and St. Pete saying pregnant uh, women should be careful with wow. parts of Moringa. And then we have another, e a third email or text message that says um, the bark roots or seeds. Not sure. So, Eric? <laughs> wow. My understanding that. is that the more potent, I have not heard of this particular um uh, effect, but the um, the bark leaves and seeds, uh, the the bark, sorry, and the and the and the and the roots and seeds are are as pungent as horseradish. Oh, okay. um, very much strong, more strong than the leaves. So, um, uh, it may be that those um, uh, have that uh, use and or side effect. Um, uh, but I've not I've not read that, and I certainly know that many uh, a great many people around the world are consuming the leaves without any. Um, without having, I have not personally seen any reports but on that. But that would be something to check if you are pregnant. And it I certainly would be. I definitely yes. want to know about that that tree that has the leaves that taste like chicken broth if you cook it, right? Sure, sure. I that. really want to know about that guy. Sure, there's one called uh, Chinese Tune. Tuna sinensis is the Latin name, and it does uh, really taste like chicken soup. It's quite remarkable. Um, it's related to neem, which I think is pretty weedy down there, so you might want to yeah. be careful with it. Here, uh, it's been very benign for me for, for uh, you know, over a decade now, but um, very different climate. Uh, it is... It, in my analysis of the world's vegetables, it was the second most nutritious of the 300 and some species that we uh, found data for. Mm -hmm. So it's incredibly nutritious. What's um, the scientific name again? Tuna sinensis, T-O-O-N-A. And uh, Chinese tune is one of the trade names. It is available from some uh, specialty nurseries and seed companies in the U.S. Oh, uh, I would love to see more people growing it. I, I personally think it tastes a lot better than moringa. Um, and uh, well, I I'll don't be... eat chicken, but I like the idea of using <laughs> the broth in flavoring for things if it's a vegetable. So yeah. I just thought that was a wonderful thing uh, to have. So I feel like if for if for vegans who miss the flavor of chicken, it is a great choice. I think it can yeah. make wonderful bouillon. Uh, I like to just put it in soups uh, right. to make the stock. I, I think it's quite quite 
quite lovely. Oh, that's, yeah. and you do just treat it the same way as any green leaf, like as edible. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. I yeah. just love it. Josh is going to be busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will be sending him a tree this year. I'm growing one out for him. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Oh, so he doesn't have that one yet. I don't believe he does. Oh, okay. It's not yet widely grown in Florida, and oh. I, I really think it should be. Yeah. Yes, I do too. I'm on it. I want one bad. So, uh, so when people are doing this, uh, they need to get the book from you. Uh, so how would they get that, that uh, no-cost download? Sure. They can go to perennialagriculture.institute, uh, and it's in there as a blog post and can be, can be downloaded. And they'd okay. be very, very welcome to do so. And in fact, it's Creative Commons. So if they want to take it and put it up on their website and make it available for people for free as well, they're more than welcome to do that. Yeah, I found that it was very simple to be able to pass on like that. Mm-hmm. So, And if people wanted to reach you, is that available? Sure. Uh, yeah, there's an email for me right there on that uh, website. Oh, on that website. What is that email, just in case? Uh, let's see, what is that one? Well, the easiest one to use is tonesmeyer at gmail. It's, it's not easy. T-O-E-N-S-M-E-I-E-R at gmail. And I do enjoy corresponding with people about trees with edible leaves. Thank you. Uh, and Kenny, have some, uh, any other questions that you, or anything that you feel that we need to know, Eric, that hasn't been covered? I think you all had fantastic questions. You actually read the book and know about the stuff already. So we're it, off to a great it, job. Yeah. Super happy. Super yeah, happy. Thank yeah. you. It was, it's really good. I'm just going to keep pushing that on everybody. <laughs> so thank you so much, Eric. You're a wonderful guest. And uh, thank you to all the listeners who interacted with us. We always appreciate it. Yeah, it was a really good show. Thanks again, Eric. Really appreciate you and all that you do. Well, thanks so much for having me. And y'all are fortunate to live in one of the best places in the world for being able to grow lots of trees with edible leaves. You so are so right. Do enjoy. Thank you. Let us know when those uh, new uh, versions of different languages come out, too. That would oh, be great. great. We'll do. We'll okay. do. Thanks again. Thank you, Eric. Mm-hmm. All right. So next week, uh, oh, Annie, do you know who is going to be on the show? I think I might. <laughs> so we're going to have... Uh, uh, organic farming. Lo- well, it's actually urban Recordings. organic farming uh, with Jim Kowaleski and Tanner G. Johnson. And they're from the Freedom Farm in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. And I just adore these guys. I get a CSA from them every week. And they grow all in the front yard of their, of their property. And they are doing such a great job and have been for a long time. And Tanner yeah. is the new farmer that Jim's teaching. And I think we had Jim on like about a year ago, and that show was very popular. Oh, so people love we, Jim. He's so lovable. We, we really like when you interact with us. Yes, yes. Please call us anytime. We love it. And text us. If you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please go to WMNF.org and donate through the tip jar and direct your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Stay tuned. In the next hour, you will hear WMNF Tampa's Monday Music with Flea. If you want to hear more public interest programming, switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, The Source, and listen to today's Tom Hartman Show live. Make sure to tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show. Like Annie said, we will be talking about local urban organic farming with Jim Kowaleski and Tanner Johnson from Freedom Farm. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living, WMNF, to stay in the loop. And to listen to our past shows, just go to Listen On Demand on WMNF.org. 
I am Kenny Coogan. And I'm Annie Ellis. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. More severe storms expected today in batter communities in the southern U.S. that are just beginning to recover from Friday storms. More than two dozen tornadoes tore through portions of Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia.